Mother's Day, everyone. We, uh, we do celebrate all moms. Uh, most of us have moms, uh, at least at one point. That's how we got here. I, um, I, I also, though, in, on Facebook, made a, a better uh, deal with this, but I also recognize that there are, like, um, you know, surrogate moms, you know, aunts, uh, grandmas, friends that have played mom roles. I also realize that for some, today is especially hard because of maybe desires that you have to be a mom or uh, whatever, and, and life has just dealt you a, a different hand. So I, so I get that today is one of those days, but we love you, and uh, thank you for being here. Would you do me this favor? Would you grab your notes out of your handout? We are we're continuing a series on renewing, and uh, the premise uh, sort of we started last week. It's Romans twelve two. We're going to get into this. I, I just want to start with something kind of funny that I read this week. Um, it's a uh, it, it takes place in a country club locker room where all of the men in, in the locker room are in various stages of either getting dressed for their workout or getting dressed to go back to work. And then uh, the phone rings, a cell phone rings, sitting there on the bench in the locker room. So a man answers it by hitting speakerphone, and this is the dialogue that ensues. The wife says, hi, honey, are you at the club? The man says, yes, I'm just finishing up. The wife says, oh, good. Listen, I found a coat at Nordstrom's today. It's $2,000. Do you mind if I get it? And the man says, oh, if you really like it. The wife says, thank you. Listen, I also stopped by the Lexus dealer and I took a test drive in the new model. They want 90,000. The man says, okay, but for that price, make sure it comes with all the bells and whistles. Wife says, excellent. Last thing, that house we were looking at last year is back on the market. They're asking 980 grand. The man says, go ahead and make an offer if you like it. They'll probably come down to 900. But if not, we can go full asking price. The wife says, oh, thank you, babe. See you soon. The man says, okay, bye. After he hangs up, all eyes in the room are on him. All mouths dropped open. Nobody can believe what just happened. The man clears his throat and then asks, does anyone know whose phone this belongs to? <laughs> I do want you to know that it's always easy to be generous with money that's not yours. And we kind of started this last week. We started talking about how everything is God's. God owns all the material resources. God owns all the human resources. Everything is the Lord's. And so it's really important when it comes to how we see stuff, how we see resources, that we see it the way that God sees it. And that's why this is a series called Renewing, okay? Based on Romans 12, 2, the Apostle Paul writes, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. The Apostle Paul knows that there's a culture, there's a world that will seek to conform us into its pattern, the pattern of thinking, the pattern of behavior. And he says, no, 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 you can't let that happen. It's important for us to be transformed, how? By allowing God to renew your mind and change the way you think. Because when our mind is renewed, then our lives will be transformed. Our behavior, our habits, our desires, they will all flow from the renewed mind. And so the idea is, the definition of renew is this, to make new or as if new again, like to restore, renew the antique chair to take up again, as in resume, to renew an old friendship, and then number three, to repeat so as to reaffirm, 
to renew a promise. Now, all three of these elements are taking place when we allow God to renew our mind. That means we resume to see the world through God's perspective. We repeat this as often as is necessary in order to reaffirm the truth that we are not going to conform to the pattern of this world, but we're going to live a transformed life because we're letting God change the way that we think. And I do, I said this last week, I'm gonna say this this week again. One of the topics that is the hardest topic for Christ followers to get our minds around is the topic of money. We just have such a hard time. We, we are naturally drawn into the conformity to the pattern of this world. And this is where God wants us to be renewed, to, to see this the way God sees it. And so if you look at the title of the message, this is where we're gonna go. The, the reality is that generosity, giving, is something that God commands, but understand it's for us. Giving is for us. This is God's desire, and this is what God wants us to. I, I understand, if, if you go through the scripture, you'll see many, 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 many commands that God has given his people. But I, I think an argument can be made, and in fact, I would make this argument, that God only commands us to do things that are best for us. That the commands of God are always at a core level, they are for our best. Now, another argument could be made, no, no, they're for the glory of God, and I wouldn't argue that because every time we obey God's command, God receives glory. So absolutely, God will receive glory. I just would argue, he doesn't give us commands so that he'll receive glory. He gives us commands for our best. When we obey them, he does receive glory. So I, I wanna give you an example of this. I said giving is for us. Let me, let me give you one example. Sabbath is for us. It's a command of the Lord. God says you're to remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy, you're to honor God with the Sabbath. So this is a, a command, it's not a suggestion, it's one of the big 10, right, commands. But I would argue that it is not for him that we keep the Sabbath. God has commanded us to keep the Sabbath for us. When we keep it, he gets glory. But that's not the reason why he gave it. He gave it to us because it's best for us. Well, what does Jesus say about it? Take a look. Jesus says this about the Sabbath. He said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. What's Jesus saying here? He's saying, look, the Sabbath is a gift. God made it as a gift to you humans to take a day off, to rest, to relax, to worship, to reconnect with family and friends, to renew your mind and the priorities of the Lord. It's a gift to you. It's not for God, although every time you obey him, he receives glory. I just want you to see, no, no, this is for you. And in the same way, you need to understand the command to give it is for us. I just want to make this very, very clear. God isn't broke, all right? God's not broke. He owns everything, right? All the material resources, all the human resources. We, we covered this last week. 
And I don't always say this, but, but I do say this in this series because it's so foundational. If you happen to miss last week's message, please go online and catch up. We, we covered some incredible truths about the renewed mind allowing us to see that all things are God's, the renewed mind allowing us to see that guilt is not a motivator, so we never go there, allowing us to see that, that we give a, a, as a mark of character, not circumstance. So there's, there's all this foundational stuff that I would encourage you to go back and kind of go through. But I want you to understand that God doesn't need our money. No, no, he commands us to give for us. God doesn't need our money, but he knows we need to give. And so with this renewed mind, this idea of God transforming our thinking, we go after a couple of different truths today. The first, if you're filling in the blanks, with renewed minds, we understand generosity is an issue of our hearts, not our dollars. So we've said this last week, we'll keep saying it's not about dollar amount, it's about our heart, where our heart is in the equation. And so here's a passage, Luke 21, Jesus is in the temple with his disciples, and they're paying attention to how people are giving their gifts and tithes and offerings. So it says this, as Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly, I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. So there's a few things about this passage as you look at it. The first is that Jesus is watching, and he is watching who gives what and why. And they're all a big deal to Jesus. And even though there are many there, in fact, I bet you every single person there in the temple was giving more in terms of a dollar amount to the Lord. What Jesus highlighted was this widow. Look what she gave. Look why she gave. What a woman of faith. What an honor to the Lord. This woman should be honored as well. And we talked about a tithe last week, and a tithe is simply one of those words, it simply means 10%. And in the Old Testament, in Leviticus, there's a command that we're to give 10% of our income to the Lord. The, the, the first and best 10% goes straight to God as our offering, our tithe. And I am aware that there are some Christ followers today who don't think that a tithe is a New Testament commandment, that it's only an Old Testament commandment. In other words, in the, under the old covenant, which was law, that was the command that God had for his people. But now we're in the new covenant, which is under grace, and that's no longer a command that God expects us to keep. So here's the deal. I said this to some of our leaders, and I just want to say to you, um, you might fall on the Old Testament, have to obey the 10% command. You might fall on the New Testament. No, we fall under grace. So 10% is no longer a command. I just want you to know, this is what I said to the leaders, whichever side you land on that equation, I don't give a rip, right? I don't even care. It's, a, it's an academic exercise in my belief, and here's why. Because what did Jesus say he came to do to the law? Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill the law. So Jesus comes and he fulfills it. He gets it the, right at the heart, right at the very most important part of the law. And every time we see Jesus refer to the Old Testament law, in the New Testament, what does he do? To use a poker term, he ups the ante, okay? Jesus is always putting more chips on the table. 
So let me give you a, a for example. For example, Jesus says, you've heard it said, don't commit murder. That's a good command, don't commit murder. Let's keep that one. Don't commit murder. You've heard it said, the command, do not murder. But I say to you, anyone who says in his heart, you fool to his neighbor is in danger of hellfire. <laughs> Uh, some of you are like, no, 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 we're not under law, we're under grace. Yeah, yeah, it's true, we're under grace. Don't get too relaxed, all right? Because what's Jesus doing? He's upping the ante, right? It's like the kid who said to his mom, mom, I don't understand. Every time daddy drives me to school, all the idiots are on the road. Right, it's just, it, it just comes out of our hearts, right? And Jesus said, no, I want, I want your heart. It's your heart that's the thing, right? Grace ups the ante. Now, here's the big difference between law and grace. If, if, this is a big conversation. We're making it really short. Law disempowers us because what the law does is it shows how far we fail. That's what the law does. It's disempowering. It shows how much of a need of a savior we are. But what does grace do? Friends, grace empowers us. Grace, when we enter into it in faith, what it does is God sends his spirit and he dwells within us and then suddenly we're empowered to live a life we could not live under the law. Does this make sense? Some of us have this idea that grace means I can do whatever I want, God doesn't care what I do. It's not the case. God loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus Christ to die on a cross to forgive all of your sin, wipe it all away as if it never ever happened. And then to come and dwell richly within you so that you could live a life of potential greater than you could ever dream on your own strength. Amen. Okay. That's the difference. So, so again, what does Jesus say about the law? Jesus says about the law, uh, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. That's a good command. Don't commit adultery. It's a good command. But I say to you, do not lust in your heart after a woman because that's the same thing as committing adultery. What's he doing? He's upping the ante. Are you guys with me? Can I get a, a, an amen, a right on? Are you, are you? This is, by, by the end of today, you guys are gonna be like, that was the greatest Mother's Day talk I ever heard. All right, so here's the deal. That's what he's doing. He's upping the ante. Now, here's what he would say about the tithe, right? What's he gonna do? Of course, grace means, yeah, you don't have to obey the commandment to be acceptable to the Lord because he's made us acceptable to the Lord through his death, burial, resurrection. But, right, you've heard it said, Jesus would say, you should tithe, give the first tithe to the Lord. And I say to you, that's a great starting place. Right? Everything is God's. And you're, you're to steward all of your resources and all of your time and all of your talent in such a way that you bring the kingdom with you. I put on your notes what Jesus actually says about the tithe. Matthew 23, 23, Jesus says, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens. Right? These were the Pharisees who would be very, very careful even as they would trim their you know, sage and, and uh, rosemary. They would tithe parts of that into the temple. He says, but you ignore the more important aspects of law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. Jesus is saying tithing is just the beginning. That's not the thing you shoot for. That's the foundation you start from. And again, the law disempowers. Nobody can do the law, right? Nobody can live up to the law. But what does the grace do? Grace empowers. Jesus says, I am with you every step of the way. I'm gonna help you live this kind of a generous, faithful life. 
There was an article that ran in Forbes magazine written by Rich Calgard. It was called The Irrational Act of Tithing. Again, Forbes magazine. He argues it's a strange thing. You think if you give, if you tithe, you end up with less. But people in the business world find that when they start tithing, their lives are enhanced. Again, Forbes magazine. Of course, that's what the Bible has said all along. Jesus says these words in Luke 8, or Luke 3, excuse me, Luke 6, 38. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Jesus is saying, when you give, when you give, God will give back to you on so many different levels. The, the conformity to the pattern of this world would suggest that if you give, you have less. If you have less, you don't have enough. If you don't have enough, you cannot make it. But what Jesus is saying is, no, 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 when you give, what you'll find is that God has given back to you more and more and more, like a blessing poured out into a basket and running over into your lap. Why is this? Because, friends, giving is for us. This is how God set it up. It's for us. Us. Next truth, with renewed minds, we see the benefits of generosity. As we have a renewed mind, we can see some of the benefits that God has built into his people being generous. There was another article that ran this week. It was titled, Seven Science-Backed Reasons Why Generosity is Good for Your Health. Seven Science-Backed Reasons Why Generosity is Good for Your Health. Not a Christian publication. And it was all about your heart and your stress levels, all that stuff. And I was so inspired by this article, I just made my own list. So here it is, Mike Howerton. The first, when I give, I begin to experience a spiritual adventure with God. Amen. And you can jot these down if you like. This is the deal. The Bible says, my God will richly supply all your needs. But if I never begin to give, then I don't start on that adventure. I don't, I don't let God prove himself faithful to me. Next one, when I give, my joy goes up. You know what you don't see very often? You don't see joyful, greedy, clutching people very often, right? You, you, just joy and selfishness do not go together, right? You think about, you know, Scrooge. Scrooge was joyful at the end. Why? Because he started being generous. Does that make sense? Beforehand, miserable. So just, just, you know, keep that in mind. Uh, next one, when I give, my empathy goes up. In other words, I know I'm making a difference in this world, and so I'm, I'm no longer afraid to hear about needs. In fact, I want to hear about needs because I love to help, and my empathy has gone up because I've been generous. Next one, when I give, my worry goes down. I find more and more that I'm trusting in God instead of trusting in money. Next one, when I give, I, give free, I get free. Why is this? Because Jesus himself said nobody can serve two masters. And so I'm trying to serve two masters, and, and one master is just keeping me in bondage, but when I give, that's released. Next one, when I start letting go of my money, I find money starts letting go of me. Friends, there are so many reasons to give. And what I want to do right now is I want to, I want to give a follow-up to what we talked about last week, the object lesson from last week was that we were going to, as a church body, we were going to try to help meet uh, the needs of a daughter church of ours, New Light Christian Church on Rainier Avenue. It's in the most diverse zip code in all of America. My friend, Pastor Rick Danner down there, he was telling me about a need that they had of putting the new shingles on their roof. 
and the, the shingles are blowing off and there's all this damage that's gonna happen and so they're running a $30,000 campaign to put new shingles on their roof. And if you were here last week, you know I said, Overlake, let's, let's jump in and let's help meet that need. We were gonna tithe off last Sunday's offering and, and several of you decided, you know what, I wanna make a special gift just to this project. So I, 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 we got, you know, I wrote him a letter, put the check in the mail, sent it off on Tuesday. Well, I called him this week and, and just, you know, I wanted to talk to him. And, and so I called him and, and I was just curious, hey, Pastor Rick, um, how is the campaign going? And he was like, oh, it's going great, Pastor. He said, we've, uh, we've raised about $11,000 so far in this campaign. I'm very, very encouraged. And I said, okay, well, you know what, bud? Watch the mail. There'll be a little, a little something in it from Overlake this week. And, and I'd love to have you give me a call when it comes in. So would you like to hear how much we sent to New Light? Uh, that was rousing. Um, uh, so, so Overlake, you sent uh, Pastor Rick and New Light Christian Church $17,500, yeah, yeah, you, so, so he calls me on Friday, and he's like clutching his heart, he said, pastor, I opened the letter, I almost had a heart attack today, this may be the first time that your generosity was bad for somebody's health, um, <clears throat> Some of you are just doing the math, 11,000 plus 17. Oh, he's close, he's close. Yeah, he's very close. And what, what, what he wanted you to know is from the bottom of his heart, he was so grateful. He was so thankful. He, he just could not stop talking about his gratitude to you, that, that you would join their congregation in caring for this need. Now, it feels good, doesn't it? God did that. God's the one who made that up, right? God, but why? Because giving is for us. Now, I do want to say something that it's not in my notes. It's just kind of a, a, a deal. You know, Pastor Rick down there, he's running this campaign. He's being faithful down there. He's, he's leading his congregation through this season. And there's $11,000 committed. And I know that he's probably thinking, Lord, you've got to show up. I don't know how we're going to get from 11 to 30. you got to show up. you got to show up. Meanwhile, God behind the scenes and totally unexpected to Pastor Rick, God's got this gift on the way. Are you, are you following me? The lesson for you and I is this. You and I might be looking right at our scenario. We might be saying, God, I don't know how this is going to happen. I don't know how we're going to get through. I don't know what's... You need to understand that there's a bigger picture. God is already at work behind the scenes. And he's taking care of each and every one of us. God loves us, right? He's a good father. So you just need to see this. That, that's the, the idea is that there's all these benefits to generosity. And, and so when we have the renewed mind, we can see that. The next fill-in, with renewed mind, we can see the downsides of not giving. Okay, the, the downsides of not giving. There's a really odd little verse in, in the scripture, Proverbs 30, 15 it says, the leech has two suckers that cry out, more, more. The leech has two suckers that cry out, more, more. You, you know what a leech is, right? It's, that, it's like a, a slimy snail without a shell type thing. And I, I actually, I, you know, I was kind of ignorant. I don't know what a leech is. I've never been around leeches, I, you know. 
I, I, when I go to the doctor, they typically don't pull them out, you know, I, I just, I'm not familiar with leech, so I, di I didn't know uh, this about the suckers, so in between services, we Googled it, and it's true, they have, they have two suckers. Amazing how the Bible just fits right in with, like, you know, accuracy kind of a thing. So, now, here's the deal. It, the suckers are on either end of the leech. Did you know this? You probably already knew this. What do they do? They attach to something, and then they, I mean, you know, you can say it, they, they suck. Leeches suck. They suck, all right? So, so a leech is attached, it's sucking, and what's the other side doing? It's saying, more, more, right? Like, that, that's it. They, there's two of them, and they just, they, they're insatiable. And I just wanted to say, especially to you moms, happy Mother's Day today. This <laughs> first Mother's Day message with leech as, like, a... But you, what I want you to see is it's a picture the Bible's giving us of, of what greed looks like. Just this constant more, more, this, I'm never satisfied. I've got to have more. I've got to do, I've got to, there's got to be more. It's got to be cooler. I've got to have nicer this. I've got to have more of that. I need two of those. I need a bigger this. I mean, it's just more, more, more. We're never satisfied. And that, that's the pattern of this world. Ben Franklin, this, you know, I don't know when he wrote this, but it's so true. Money never made a man happy yet, nor will it, he says. The more a man has, the more he wants. Instead of filling a vacuum, it makes one. More, more, right? There's just this, it's like, once you start walking that road, you, it never comes to an end. Like, I just need this, but then you get it. And you're like, oh, no, I need that. And then you get it, oh, I just need that. And it's just more and more, right? Those, those are the leeches that just keep screaming. Think about it, like, just kind of go on a little journey with me. Maybe go back, like, early in your, maybe your teen years or something. You're like, oh, you know what I need? I need a bike. I need a bicycle. I got to have a good bike. And you get a bike, and you're loving your bike, but you're like, oh, I need a nicer bike. And so you get a nicer bike, and still, that bike's not enough. I need a really nice road. I got to have a Cervelo. So finally, you scrap and save, and you get a Cervelo, and then you're like, oh, my gosh. You know, I don't know why I wanted a bike. I really need a car. So you trade it. You get a car, and, and it's just like a Honda Civic, and you're like, oh, I love my Honda Civic. It's just this beater thing. But you know what? I need? I need rims. And so you get rims in your car. Oh, you know what? I need a spoiler kit. So you get a spoiler kit in your car. It's like everything you get. Oh, I got a spoiler kit and rims. You know what I need? I need an Acura. And so you trade it and you get an Acura. And you get an Acura. Oh, you know what? I need? I need the latest model. You get the latest model. You're happy until the next model's announced. Like more, more, just constantly in your ears. If you start going down that road, there's no end. You have an apartment, you want a condo, get a condo, what do you do, fix it up. You got a nice condo now, what do you want? I'm gonna trade it for a house. Get a house, what do you want? Oh, I need landscape. You landscape, what do you want? Oh, I need add on, right? More, more, it's never enough. Clothes, same way. We're all like, like you know, here, here's a bit of advice. Do not go to the outlets on a sunny day because the leeches will be screaming, right? More, more, look at you, how you're dressed. Oh my gosh, stop in every single one of these stores. You know, like, it's just there for you. And, and I just, I want you to understand that that's, that's the conformity to the pattern of this world. That if you can dress this way, if you can look this way, if you can drive this thing, if you can live this level, then you'll be happy. Don't buy it. We need a renewed mind. We, we need this renewed mind that transforms the way we think. A picture in the scripture also gives us a, a totally opposite view of this. This is in Psalm 131. 
Again, an odd little passage. It says this. My heart is not proud. My eyes are not haughty, Lord. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me, but I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. Israel, put your hope in the Lord both now and forevermore. Put your hope in the Lord. Not in the cash, not in the material possessions, not in the style of living. No, no, put your hope in the Lord now and forever. Be content. The picture in Psalm 131 is like that that picture of a, a baby perfectly satisfied. My son Caleb is 12 years old now, but when he was a baby, we snapped this photo, and I'll just show it to you here. Perfectly fat and happy, and passing gas, apparently. Some of you are like, that looks like a Buddha. No, it's not. That's my son, for real. You can take it off. Uh, but I, but I want you to see just that picture, right? The, the, the picture of contentment. And here's the truth, and you might want to write this down and chew on it this week. Money is a great servant, but it's a horrible master. It's a great servant, but a horrible master. And the challenge that we have to just give ourselves again and again and again is contentment in the Lord that we would be humble, not look to the ends of the earth. What else can I buy? What else can I acquire? But no, I am content. There's this, uh, I just finished a book this week. It was a book by Laura Ingalls Wilder. She writes the Little House in the Prairie books. And some of you are wondering why I was reading a Little House in the Prairie book this week, and maybe I like kids' books, and maybe you should stop judging me. And so... But I, I do want you to know that if you need a a refresher of what um, simple, hardworking contentment looks like, you should pick up one of her books. It's, it's amazing. And we're talking about a level of poverty that is none of us are at. And yet there is this incredible trust and contentment and hard work that just, it's, it's a beautiful picture. And there was a passage in the book that really got to me. It was, the, it was sort of the pinnacle, I think, of the book I was reading. And it was the, the, the family was living in a dugout next to this creek. A dugout is basically a cave with a door. And, and Paul was able to build them a house out of wood up above on the prairie. And it was the first time that they had ever lived in a house that was built with wood planed at a sawmill. First house they'd ever had with glass in the windows or hinges made at a store. And then Pa had this surprise. Ma hadn't, hadn't come up during the building process to check it out. And so Pa was able to, to get this surprise delivered. And it was, a, it was a stove with an oven. And she had never had an oven before in her life. And so when moving day comes, the kids are so excited, they blindfold Ma, and they take her up into the house, and then they, they take the blindfold off, and she looks around, and, and she becomes weepy with gratitude. And she looks at the glass windows, oh, Charles, she says. She looks at the wood floors, oh, 
And then she sees the stove. She says, oh, Charles, she's crying. Oh, Charles, you shouldn't have. It's too much, she says. And Pa says, nothing's too much for you. See, the renewed mind gets us to the place where we realize that every dollar and every minute is a blessing from the Lord God who loves us so much. And when we are overwhelmed by his goodness and his provision and his grace, then when he blesses us, we just say, oh, Lord, oh, Lord, it's too much. And in that moment, you will hear the Father's whisper, nothing's too much for you. I love you. My heart is to bless you. My heart is to care for you. My heart is to stoke you out. I I want the very best for you. But it's not chasing the leech who says more, 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 running as hard as you can after some contentment that will never come. No, no, the key is no, pursue contentment now and be generous now and have the renewed mind about your finances now because when you do, you will hear the Father say nothing, nothing is too much for you. The next truth, this is the last one here that I want to talk about today. It says, with renewed minds, we sense the power Jesus wants us to live with. With renewed minds, we sense the power that Jesus wants us to live with. Now, this might seem like an odd truth to pull out when we're talking about finances and how God wants us to view resources, but, but I've had a couple of other odd verses today, and we talked about leeches, and this is the weirdest Mother's Day message ever, so I, I, I'm, I'm okay with it. I want you to think about the passage of Scripture where Jesus is crossing the Sea of Galilee in a boat with his disciples. And if you want to look it up later this week, you can look. It's in three Gospels. You can look it up in in Mark chapter 4, Matthew chapter 8, or Luke chapter 8. That's where you'll find it. Please read it. Do the research. But what happens is Jesus says to his disciples, we're going to get in the boat. We're going to cross to the other side. And then Jesus hops in the boat and he falls asleep. The disciples start sailing across the lake. And uh, Sea of Galilee gets really, really rough. Like the uh, wind's blowing, the waves are crazy, water's coming on. Disciples start fearing for their lives. So they're, they're doing the best they can of sailing, directing, bailing, but finally they just get overwhelmed. They go to Jesus, wake up, Jesus. Don't you care that we drown? And Jesus wakes up, and with a word, he calms the wind, stills the waves. It's like bathtub flat. And then Jesus says to them, and this is what I want to focus on. He says these words, oh, you of little faith, he says. Why did you doubt? Now, the the question that I have, the question that's interesting to note is, why did Jesus refer to the disciples as, oh, you of little faith? You know, what they did is they they entered into a stormy situation. They, They sailed into a problem, and when they were in the problem, they went to Jesus, and he woke up and took care of the problem. What we do when we're in trouble, we see that we're in the middle of a storm, we go to Jesus, we pray, Jesus, help us out, Jesus helps us out. When we do that, we call that having faith, right? Like, doesn't that typically mean, oh, no, I prayed. I went to the Lord. That, don't we say that, oh, that's faith. What Jesus says to his disciples, oh, you have little faith. This is a good question. Why does, he, why does he say that? Do some research. You find that there are four main reasons why. Go to school for just a moment. The first possible reason 
why Jesus calls them, oh, you have little faith, is because they don't go to Jesus first. First, what they do is try to get through it on their own strength and cunning. And again, this is a lesson for us, right? Don't we try to do that as well? We, we, we enter a problem, maybe it's a financial problem, whatever kind of problem, we try to negotiate our, our way through on our own strength, our own connections, our own cleverness. We, we can bail the boat out on our own instead of going to Jesus first. So it's a good reminder, no, no, let's go to, let's go to the Lord first. Let's go to the Lord first because he's the one we care about. Let's go to the Lord first because he's the one we wanna obey. Does that make sense? Pastor, that's a great point. I'll write that down. That's a good one. All right, second the reason why Jesus said, oh, if you, you have little faith, it wasn't that they didn't go to him first, it was how they went to him, right? They went to him completely freaked out, terrified. They were totally anxious and worried, right? Wake up, wake up, don't you care that, that we're gonna drown? And again, so it, it's an issue of our heart that, that somehow, because we're in the middle of a storm, we are tempted to think God doesn't care. Jesus doesn't care, that I'm on my own in this, right? And so again, what is this for us? For us, it's a reminder. No, no, let's go to the Lord first, and let's go to the Lord with our worship, not our worry, Amen. okay? We worship, we don't worry. We go to the Lord first, we don't go to the Lord last, okay? So these are good reminders. Number three, Jesus had said to his disciples, let's cross over to the other side of the lake, if Jesus says we're going to cross over to the other side of the lake, we need to trust that Jesus is gonna get us to the other side of the lake. Does this make sense? So right now, no matter what you're sailing through, no matter what you're going through, what your journey is taking you through, you need to understand Jesus knows exactly where you are, he knows exactly what you're facing, and he will see you through to the other side. Okay, so these are three reasons why Jesus said to his disciples, potentially, oh, you have little faith. Maybe it was all three of these reasons, right? And, and so for us, the reminder is we can learn from all three of these things. We go to the Lord first, we go to the Lord with our worship, and we trust that he's, sailing, he's gonna take us through and see us through whatever it is that we're facing. But there's a fourth reason, and to me, this is the one that, that speaks to me most compellingly. This is the biggest challenge to me as a pastor, what did Jesus spend three years of his life doing with the disciples? What, what, was, what was the main thing that he was trying to teach his disciples? See, Jesus was trying to model for his disciples what he wanted his disciples to actually do. So I want you to think about any, what you know about the Gospels. Jesus preached the message of the kingdom, and then he had his disciples preach the message of the kingdom. Are you following me? Jesus went into situations and he healed those who were hurting. What did, the, what did he release the disciples to do? To heal the hurting. Jesus went into scenarios where there were 5,000 that needed to be fed. What did he say to the disciples? You give them something to eat. Okay. Again and again and again, what Jesus is trying to get the disciples to see is, look, what I am doing here, you can also do. And so this is true for his followers today. It's not just a one-time thing with, with the 12. This is for you and I. We're following Jesus. This is what we've got to learn. And so when Jesus calms the storm, he's trying to get his disciples to understand, and us as well, that as children of the Most High God, we are also above the storm. We are also above the circumstances. We are also overcomers. That 
if the same power that raised Christ from the grave lives in me, then certainly the same power that stilled the wind is available to me. And if the same power that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, then certainly the same power that calmed the, the waves lives in you. Does this make sense? And so you, you just need to understand that you and I have this incredible power at our fingertips. It's a power to begin in obedience. It's a power to move in trust. It's a power to be still and content in the Lord. And when we are these things, you will discover the storm is already still. There is no storm that can grab hold of you when you are operating in of trust, obedience, and faithfulness. And I mean this financially, but I hope you see this has huge ramifications for our lives. I want to tell you one last thing, and this is, uh, I would love to have you jot this down because you're going to, I want you to chew on this. Here it is. Your giving is not how God gets his kingdom into the world. I'll just say that one more time. Your giving is not how God gets his kingdom into the world. Your giving is how God gets his kingdom into your heart. Why? Because giving is for us. Giving is for us. And yes, when we give, trust me, don't, don't mishear me, there are incredible redemptive movements that happen all over the place because of our generosity. That's what the whole Blessing My City campaign is all about. No, no, God will use our generosity to do incredible things for God's kingdom, but I just want you to, to don't miss the importance of this. God can get his kingdom work done millions of ways. Now, what he wants with your generosity is for his kingdom to come here, okay? So, happy Mother's Day. <laughs> Some of you, you're like, well, he did show a picture of his kids, so I guess that, that sort of ties up. What I'd love to have you do is grab your connection card. And as Neely mentioned earlier, please finish filling that out. You'll notice some action items on the back. And the first two are about receiving Christ or recommitting your life to him. I want to tell you something that has never failed to amaze me. But just about every time we talk about money at Overlake, people give their lives to Jesus. And I don't understand why, but I have to think it's because Again and again and again, we see that we have called on money as a savior, and we realize what an impotent savior it is. No, no, Jesus is the savior, and if you don't know him as Lord and savior, today's a great day to place your trust in him. So you could just check one of those top two boxes there. The last one says, I want to pursue financial counseling at Overlake. Maybe your financial life does look like a storm right now, and we want to provide any resources we can to help you make a plan to navigate your way through that in faith that God knows exactly where you're going, okay? Let's pray together right now. Jesus, we do come to you now in faith and, and we just wanna say thank you. Thank you for the generosity that you have revealed to us. 
Lord, we know that you, you love the world so much that you gave. And Jesus, what we see you gave is you gave everything. You left the riches of heaven and you came to live in poverty so that we might be experiencing the riches of heaven. Jesus, you're the one who consistently gave and, and so we are so thankful for, for the way that you give, the way that you love us, the way that you grace us, the way, that, the way that you don't expect us to give so that we can earn your love. No, no, you, you proved your love in advance. But Lord, what we wanna do is, is we want you to look at our hearts and we want you to renew our minds and, and we wanna live the transformed life. We wanna see our resources with the, with the clarity, Jesus, that you saw resources with. We ask that you would be um, absolutely free to work in each one of us, that you would whisper your love and your favor and your grace in each one of us as we begin this road of radical obedience to you in the area of our finances. We love you, Lord, and we do accept this truth that giving is for us. It's a way that you have offered us your grace, and we receive that grace today. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen.